0: Welcome, my friends, to episode three of the Continuous Improvement Journey podcast. I'm Hayden Barker from Continuous Improvement Journey, where we help you take continuous improvement to the next level so you can destroy your organization's status quo, devastate your competitors, fuel revolutionary innovation, and maybe have an opportunity to ruffle some feathers in the Lean and Six Sigma community. I feel like I've reached a plateau in my Lean and Six Sigma and Continuous Improvement Journey, I am ready for the next mountain to climb. I've read all kinds of books and listened to many podcasts related to Lean and Six Sigma and continuous improvement. However, I'm I'm starting to see a common theme and in the continuous improvement industry that we are all recycling the same old stuff. Now, there are many different reasons for that. However, I find that there are two common reasons or maybe even two groups of people. Either we have not mastered the Lean and Six Sigma basics, which... I don't know, maybe it's probably true for all of us. Or many of us have mastered the Lean and Six Sigma basics, but the basics are now only taking us so far. Maybe we all have reached that plateau. Since I'm always wanting to learn more about different continuous improvement techniques, I have a long way to go for how we can more effectively implement continuous improvement in every organization around the world. And that, I believe, is the ultimate goal we should all rally together and work towards is finding new ways to effectively implement continuous Improvement Principles in every organization around the world. That is what I have to offer the world. I feel that the less we argue with each other like children about what improvement tool is better, whether that be arguing if Lean, Six Sigma, or 30 Constraints is better, or that Deming is some kind of god, the more we can have adult conversations about continuous improvement. We will not always agree with each other, and that's honestly okay. The point is that we develop a respect for people and their ideas so that we can work together on the ultimate goal of effectively implementing continuous improvement principles in every organization around the world. Okay, so it's time for me to step down from my soapbox rant for this Episode number three of the Continuous Improvement Podcast, we'll explore a high-level view of the 13 laws, what I've termed as the 13 laws of system optimization. I believe these 13 laws will help us overcome the plateau many of us feel is there. Or maybe there are just some additional tools that we can have in our continuous Improvement Toolbox to help us along our continuous Improvement journey The 13 laws are as follows. Now, let me me look at my list here. I'm still learning about these 13 laws that I've recently formulated. The the first one here is the law of variation. Second is the law of operational and process wastes. The law of WIP or work in process and process flow. The law of safety stocks. The law of supplier relations. The law of customer relations and the law of design for manufacturing which you know also includes design for assembly and I would like to add disassembly since I work on cob uh, carps look on cars as a hobby and sometimes I wonder what they were thinking when they were putting some cars together and the next one is the law of employee training the law of employee relations the law of standard work which is number 10 11 is the law of quality 12, Law of Tolerances and Total Costs. 13, and the last one, The Law of Resistance to Change. Now, either you're like me being a continuous improvement nerd and thinking, wow, that's an awesome list of things to learn about, or you're like the analytical side of my brain that questions everything and are saying, is that not recycling the same old stuff again? And that very well could be. However, What I would like to do with these 13 laws is talk about them from a different angle from maybe what we've thought about in the past with the mindset of what are we missing in the continuous improvement industry or what can we do differently to lift ourselves off that plateau I keep talking about. There are many, probably many other laws that I could have clued. Maybe we could add to these later as we work together to come up with these best practices for Implementing a continuous improvement way of life properly, but however I for now, I think 13 is enough or I don't know, maybe that's maybe that's too many Uh, Either way from what I have experienced and observed working with organizations is that each of these laws will help us remove many of the stumbling blocks most organizations experience as they try to implement different continuous improvement principles and tools now, trying to cover everything I want to talk about with these thirteen laws is going to be way too much stuff to jam into just one podcast episode. So, what I am thinking of doing today is providing you with a high-level view of, or a, a summary of all of these thirteen laws. Then create a, a series of podcasts where we go into a deeper dive into each of these thirteen laws. Who who knows? This this very well could be a turn into a year-long podcast series. Since I'm so excited to share these new ideas and this new direction we may not have looked at yet as we continue on our continuous improvement journey. Before we get into these 13 laws of system optimization, I want to first thank all my new listeners of the first two podcast episodes. I did not think this podcast channel would be listened to by very many people, but I've been blown away by the number of people that have checked out the first two episodes. So again, thank you for letting me be part of your continuous improvement journey and if you feel like this content I'm talking to you about is worth sharing with the world, if you feel so inclined, please subscribe to the Continuous Improvement Journey podcast. Secondly, I want to uh, apologize. It's been what has it been? About I think it was seven months since I released the podcast second episode. Honestly, life has gotten quite busy for me with changing jobs in the middle of 2021 and the end of year holidays crept up on me I, my wife and i had a christmas eve baby which was awesome which has caused a lack of sleep for my wife and i and sleep has been kind of a high priority for us we've been trying to adjust with now four kids goodness it's good though uh i've far as uh not getting back with you i've repented and kind of observed what i need to do to continue to prove my own personal performance and processes so my goal is to eventually release a podcast each, re- each week, but for right now, I can commit myself once a month, and uh, then we'll see about solely working it up from there. Well, that was probably the uh, longest podcast episode introduction that's ever been performed, and if you uh, thought I was done, uh, we're on to part two of the introduction. If there is I don't know, such a thing as two introductions, but uh, first let me introduce... The Continuous Improvement Podcast platform. If you are joining us for the first time, uh, a lot of what I teach is on the about the next level of traditional Lean and Lean Manufacturing by looking at these traditional prin- principles through a, a different lens, where we can build on that knowledge and training you have already have about Lean, Six Sigma, and Continuous Improvement fundamentals. And now, understanding or knowing the basics and fundamentals of Lean and Six Sigma is a crucial step. However, I, I've been frustrated as we've not moved on from the fundamentals or resolved many of the old, uh, the same old recycled stuff about lean and six sigma. I feel like it is time for all of us who are ready, uh, willing, and interested to move on to the next level: of continuous improvement and system thinking. When we first learn about continuous improvement, we do need to cover the basics and fundamentals, much like learning general information, and you know when we went to high school and then moving into pursuing or uh, like an undergraduate or bachelor's degree from a university. My experience after graduating with my manufacturing engineering degree is that putting all that information I learned into practice, and what I've learned over the years in school is, to- is a totally different subject between what we learned and actually applying it in the real world. When- because when we first get our first job after graduating or moving into a master's degree or even a doctorate degree, we dive into real world applications. And that's what I feel, at least from my experiences is where the real learning and progress happens the most. In other words, there is kiddling and then there is adult conversations and continuous improvement. I get a feeling that there are many of us out there that are getting burned out, including myself, on kiddling and have a really good basic understanding of what it is. I also feel I get a feeling that there is a great need or urgency or an opportunity for us to move on into the next chapter of our continuous improvement journey. Hence that's why I named my company continuous improvement journey because the road of continuous improvement is not a destination but as we've uh, probably heard before it is a journey. Now what I would like to do is help you take off your lean training wheels and help you learn to balance on your own. With your training wheels you've already learned the basics of balancing a bicycle. Now it is time for you to graduate into riding a bike of your own with two wheels instead of those four. As I have raised my two older kids who have had training wheels on their bike, uh, it seems that they were just fine on smooth pavement or sidewalks with training wheels. But when we went on rides as a family into areas with no sidewalk or we were traveling on dirt or gravel, Whenever one of my kids would drive over a low spot with their training wheels uh, or like a pothole, the, the back tire would lift off the ground and they would left spinning their back tire. And in a way, their training wheels were what were holding them back. Their bike, it was funny, they, their bike basically turned into a stationary exercise bike. So they would get a great exercise, but they would not progress forward. So first I had to push them from behind to get them going. Then next, I taught them to stop pedaling and push off with their back legs to get out of the rut. And then, when they were ready, I helped them take their training wheels off, so that they were not held back from those training wheels because, in real life situations, and when the train became became uneven, they didn't progress forward. They didn't have the tools and things knowledge necessary to progress forward. So, similar to how I help my kids graduate from their training wheels, I'd like to help you take off your lean, lean training wheels. Uh, for those who are ready and eager to learn. Well, finally, after two introductions, we're moving into, well, I guess, uh, I guess it would be a third introduction that covers the meat of this podcast episode, where we'll be covering a high-level view or introduction to these 13 laws of system optimization. In in physics, many laws govern our world of how things operate or are kept under control and often become predictable as we study those a little bit more. Two examples are the law of gravity and aerodynamics. So thank goodness that these laws are kept under control and that they're always predictable because if not, airplanes would not fly and I can't imagine what life would be like if gravity suffered from variation like our organizations and our supply chain systems do. There are many different other examples of laws and theories from the, the world of physics where each have been studied in depth by somebody Then that somebody or that someone later realized that there was predictable patterns and, and laws that these phys- physical phenomena followed. As a result, equations were formulated to help calculate and predict the outcome of each law of physics or phenomenon. Similar to this analogy of, about the law of physics, as I've studied and continually study the production processes and systems uh, related to continuous improvement, there I can say, I'm starting to see there are many predictable patterns and laws. If physics follows certain laws and patterns, could the same structure be applied to our own operational processes and systems? And as I continue to learn more about my passions in manufacturing, engineering, and continuous improvement and statistics, I would say yes. Maybe each of these 13 laws of system on optimization are actually theories more than laws. But still, however, over time, uh, through future podcasts and even online courses, I would like to develop. If there is an interest in it, maybe there isn't, I don't know. Uh, We can get more in-depth to see if these are actual laws that that we can follow as we rally together towards working towards our new common vision of finding different ways of effectively implementing continuous improvement principles in every organization around the world now our first stop is the law of variation I have a little bit of introduction to that uh, similar to how the fundamental laws of gravity keeps our solar system in check to prevent planets from flying off into outer space away from the sun or similarly controls how atoms work and how they're how they're supposed to they are predictable thank goodness the law of variation is the most important law of system optimization which is why it's first that we need to that it needs to be studied in depth and understood before we take make any decisions that will affect the future of our organizations i guess one question that could come up is how do we study something variable or random like variation the vision we want or i guess what i would like to see is to have organization grow become optimized to improve the quality of the lives of our employees and society in general. If this is not our focus, organizations will slowly fly off into the outer space and will become lost and forgotten as other companies have this vision always in their focus. Every process or system has variation. We cannot eliminate all variation, but we can gain an upper hand as we study and understand the variation present in our systems. As we learn more about this variation in our processes and systems, we will come to know that the variation present tends to have reoccurring patterns and trends. One of the best ways I've found to do this is process control charts, commonly referred to as SPC or statistical process control charts. So I think many in the Lean and Six Sigma community are quite well versed in that or at least know about it. One thing that I've also found that's been really good, I, I'm actually just barely learning with this, uh, trying to use JUMP and, and R to do Monte Carlo simulations, i found that it has uh, might be a good application to use along with SPC. And with, with SPC and Monte Carlo simulations, we are able to graduate from using simple averages that do not consider the distribution and variability of our data. When we graduate into using process control charts and Monte Carlo simulations, these tools will produce upper and lower spec and control limits, which translates into the best, worst, and optimized level that our system needs to operate. With these two tools, we'll begin to understand more in depth the trends and patterns in our system, and this knowledge can be used to increase our ability to foresee the outcomes and the decisions that we make today for our future now of course there are many major and crazy variations that can explode into our faces much like the COVID-19 pandemic did to the world in 2020 that we're still feeling some of the effects two years later at the time of this recording even if something like COVID-19 were to happen again which hopefully it won't Even crazy variations like that can be thrown into our library of variation inputs to help us understand more how variation affects the outcome of our processes and systems. Number two, we're gonna look at a little bit more and have a little bit of an overview of is the law of operational waste. There are two equations or inputs to the law of operational waste to work properly in each organization. The first equation is something that many of us already know about from our traditional Lean and Six Sigma training is the mandate to eliminate all process waste. The second equation is not as commonly understood or taught or maybe quickly brushed over. The second equation is operational waste. Both equations need to be understood, improved, and uh, coordinated. Unfortunately, we, as well as myself, may have been taught that our focus needs to be on eliminating all process waste. The two things that I found as a flaw with this traditional thinking is, which I wrote in my book, The Medicine of Lean Six Sigma and the Five Side Effects to Avoid, is that we cannot and should not eliminate all waste. Yes, we should reduce it as much as possible. But if we have the mindset of what I suggest is a diagnosis of lean anorexia, when we eliminate all waste we may not be actually improving the entire system and even hurt the other individual processes the second problem i see with this traditional thinking is what i call myopic lean or having a narrow focus on not looking at the whole system so an example of this is focusing on improving or increasing the capacity only in one of the production areas may cause inventory department to just to starve and the and the shipping department to get backed up with that change in the system instead of changing the whole entire system what happens is there is an unevenness that gets put into the system when one process is a lot faster than all the other ones that's not improved at the same time and so when only the process waste gets improved operational waste uh, increases and so operational waste should be reduced first at a system level, then process waste can be reduced to an optimized level. Now the difference is process waste is like more like your individual little work cells or different areas where each individual or each employee works. Operational waste is like like covers the whole system, and so we have there's a whole bunch of small process wastes at add into the operational waste. And what I have found from my from my experience is that, yes, process waste needs to be reduced. And some people say, oh, we need a 5S stuff, or we need to make sure the screwdriver is exactly right here so we can save seconds or minutes. Yes, that's, we do need that. And maybe in some applications and some organizations, that's the point that you need to work focus on because you've done everything else correctly. However, what I've seen in most organizations, they jump too far to that instead of realizing that they need to focus on operational waste, which, if you look at it, you know, like your traditional value stream map, if you're familiar with that, is that there's sometimes not seconds and minutes, there's hours and weeks and sometimes months of waiting, these parts are waiting around to get into the system. So that's the key point, is that we need to reduce the days and months waste in the operational waste before we get into the process waste. And so uh, an example of this is focusing on improving or increasing the capacity in the process area will cause the inventory department to starve because you're pulling more inventory than they are used to. And then as a cause of this, the shipping department will get backed up because they're not, again, they're not used to you producing 25% more or whatever it might be and so this will cause unevenness in the system when only process waste is improved and so instead operational waste should be improved first at the system level then we can eliminate the process waste to an optimized level. Next is the law of WIP and process flow. Now many of us are familiar with WIP and work in process and some even go to the extent that it is of the devil to have any type of whip lying around. Uh, this thinking is partly true. However, there is a certain amount of whip that we need to have to overcome the natural variation in our system with standard whip or critical whip levels. And so, when we go into a little bit deeper dive into this law, is that we will use optimization modeling to find the most optimized level of whip to not starve our system and not overwhelm each of the processes in the entire system. All right, I think what we'll do here is wrap up episode 3 and have this be the end of part 1 of the series of the 13 laws of system optimization. We'll continue on next week with episode 4 to cover the remaining laws 4 through 13 in the second part series of The 13 Laws of System Optimization. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll see you next week in Episode 4.